You're listening to Renew Economy's weekly podcast, an update on clean energy and climate policy. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, leading energy market analyst, David Leach. Hello and welcome to Renew Economy's weekly podcast where we analyse and uh, look at the uh, major events of the week. My name is Giles Parkinson, I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is David Leach, our independent analyst. How are you Giles? And I was thinking about what I've been enjoying about this podcast in recent weeks and I've come to the conclusion that one of the things I most like about it is your bit at the end about where you tell us what's on next week. So I can tell you right now, I'm looking forward to the end to hear what that'll be. Oh, gosh. Okay. (laughs) Well, look, let's start off with some of the things that did happen this week, and there's a fair bit to discuss, as usual. Um, This week, we've had the AEMC, the rulemaker, adjudicating on the five-minute rule. We've had a lot of um, friction and fraction over the uh, Dani coal mine. Um, We've had some interesting announcements on solar and storage and even more wind around the Port Augusta region. Uh, And there's a few other things to talk about as well. So look, let's get on with the five-minute rule. Um, I'll just lay the foundations. The energy rulemaker, the AEMC, the Australian Energy Markets Commission, after 18 months of deliberating, finally came up with the conclusion that this new five-minute rule is a good idea. Now, what this does, basically, from a quirk of fate and the fact that our metering systems weren't quick enough, we dispatch electricity every five minutes, we price it every five minutes, but we actually only settle every 30 minutes. And the consumers and other people have been complaining that this has been basically rorted, particularly in recent years, because fossil fuel generators are pushing up the price in one five-minute period. And then, as the AMC today said, they're all piling in and um, and and cashing in on that um, on, on that benefit. And um, it, it actually sort of made some extraordinary um, extraordinary examples of that today. Um, it's not going to come in for another three years. The transitional period. David, um, we went from a fixed currency to an overnight, a floating currency in overnight. Um, why can't we do that in the energy markets? Well, I think there's a general consensus that it's actually quite a lot of work required to undertake such a major change to the markets. Uh, the things that uh, caught my eye was uh, that it takes at the moment 50 seconds for anyone for the for the trans- for the um, information system to let anyone know uh, about the price, and, and so that's 50 seconds out of your um, uh, five minutes gone already. Uh, and all the metering software has to be changed. And I think it's actually, I think we all regret that it can't be done overnight. Um, uh, or just like India, getting rid of large denomination notes overnight. But I think in this case, uh, slow and steady uh, is, is, the, is the, probably the appropriate approach. So what's going to be the immediate effect of it? I mean, I guess it's been pushed and supported by battery storage developers, and I guess that's the technology and other fast response mechanisms that's going to benefit simply because they can actually respond within that five minutes, unlike some of our gas peakers, which actually from a standing start take about 10 or 15 minutes to get going. Well, I think some modelling that was done for the AMC and uh, modelling in the financial market suggests that there might be as much as a reduction of 25% initially in the amount of cap contracts offered by traditional suppliers, which includes not just uh, gas, but also hydro. Hydro generally is very fast reacting, but even it may have trouble in getting uh, set in five minutes. So Snowy potentially is quite a big loser out of it. Origin Energy, which has a whole bunch of gas peakers, is going to be quite a loser out of it. And uh, AGL, which is you know often taken advantage of the five-minute rule in South Australia, and the Queensland government in Queensland has taken advantage, they're all going to be losers out of it. I, I do think that this is a, a ready-made market for batteries. 
That said, uh, you're going to need a lot of battery power at one stage or another. And as the AEMC also said, uh, it may be that you, you'll get an oversupply of it. So one thing I've noticed about rule changes in other markets is it's, you want to be very cautious about the predictions you make because you don't really understand the dynamics of people, how people behave and comp- competition. And you often end up with outcomes that are nothing like what you thought you were going to get to. Absolutely. But it should be noted, I think, that um, in most other international markets, the settlement period actually does align with the dispatch period. In most of those markets, the dispatch period is five minutes. So it does work elsewhere in the world, but there's no doubt it will um, require some sort of adjustment in Australia. Um, Is it good that the AMC has finally embraced this? I mean, they're almost going to kick the thing away before and it's kicked the can twice down the road, but it's suddenly become a big popular debate and they've come out and, and kind of embraced it. Yeah, again, you see the announcement coming from the chair of the AEMC, and the AEMC is undertaking a vast stream of work, but I think the constant worry uh, amongst market participants is this stream of work is always lagging behind the actual events and and causing us to be very slow and bureaucratic in the way we we change and adjust to what is a fairly fast-moving technical technical move. So there are various other, you know, and again, I still think that we need more reform in the actual rulemaking process itself uh, and a more forward-looking approach uh, before we're ever going to get the results that we're really looking for. And that's interesting because Audrey Zieberman from the AEMO um, has um, pointed to exactly that. Um, she wants a pretty quick transition to a decentralised grid and a fast and cleaner and smarter grid. And um, one of the things that AEMO is pointing or pushing for in the Finkel Review is the ability for it to make some of those rule changes as it goes along. They don't have to be the big rules, but they're kind of like the minor rules and the subclauses because it can adapt to the um, new technologies. Hey, look, um, let's move on. Um, some interesting stuff here. Port Augusta, I mean, that's come to the centre of attention because a coal plant closed down there last year and everyone sort of predicted doom and destruction. Um, a very big 220 megawatt solar plant began construction on Sunday and um, one day later a contract was signed for a 215 megawatt um, wind farm. Very interesting to see that the solar farm was actually is, has been proposed and developed by the former head of the Hazelwood Brown Coal Generator, Tony Concannon, who incidentally also predicts that the cost of solar and storage, which he said the other week was already cheaper than gas, he says that's going to be well below $100 a megawatt hour within a few years. And I should point out the significance of that. That is well below where current wholesale prices are. So. Those are two interesting developments, David. Well, you know, I've actually been to the Northern Power Stations, which I guess means I've been to Port Augusta. I mean, I must say we landed by helicopter and took off an hour later, and even that was far too long for me. With all you may respect. not have been to Port Augusta then. <laughs> that's, anyway, that's probably right, uh, and I probably didn't do it uh, justice. But I guess uh, so. It gets a lot of attention for a fairly uh, small place in in in, an, in a small state. Uh, in the national electricity market. I guess what the significance to me is that it now means that on my count, we're up to just about two gigawatts of utilities. Uh, wind uh, either under construction or just started, if we include the Lincoln Gap farm at, at um, Port Augusta. So two gigawatts of wind, and we're up to, I keep finding more solar farms that have actually got to FID, financial investment, the final investment decision. So we're up to 1.7 gigawatts of solar. Good grief. Uh, and if we uh, have utility solar, and that's from a standing start, I think Arena needs to get a lot of credit. And it's also clear that the market loves utility solar. I'm not completely convinced it's any better than wind myself. But anyway, uh, people love doing it. And then you've got the rooftop stuff as well. So all up, I think within two years now, we'll have 13 gigawatts of wind and PV installed in the market. 
Well, we're starting to see that impact happening on the futures market because even though prices, um, in fact, you can actually fill us in what's happened since Hazelwood has closed. But one thing I do know is that if you look at futures prices two years down the track, and I think everyone is predicting that these wholesale prices fall, and I guess that's because we're going to see that solar and wind capacity, which should have been in now, but it was delayed because of all the ruptures over the policy. They're actually going to be built, and that's starting to going to have an impact. Yes. So spot prices since Hazelwood's closed have been high. They're averaging over $100 a week, even though demand was actually very soft in Queensland last week. And demand is still soft in Victoria because of Portland uh, only gradually recovering. And actually, we had a few very strong wind days. So you put those three things together, we should have had actually fairly soft spot prices, but they're actually over $100. So why didn't we? Um, well, I think the market is actually genuinely tight, and it's also um, it's also probably a bit of the oligopoly uh, at work, sort of manipulating things uh, a little bit. I, I mean, I'm always suspicious of it, but I mean, I think it's better to look at the underlying. The market is actually physically tight and will be fairly physically tight until this new renewable supply gets its way into the market, which basically won't be until after next summer. So I, I actually still think we need to keep a very close eye on the actual reliability of generation over the next 12 months, notwithstanding we've got all this new supply coming after that. Yeah, look, one thing I do want to look at, actually, and um, I might flag, um, apparently on um, Sunday or Monday, oh, no, I think it was Sunday, there was um, a lot of wind being generated in South Australia. In fact, I think you you made note of that in your um, weekly note on Monday. Um, my understanding is that that supply was actually constrained all over the interconnector. So there was a massive overcapacity in uh, South Australia, and that pushed the prices down to minus $45 a megawatt hour, while the prices in Victoria were $100 a megawatt hour. But the the um, interconnector was only used to a capacity of 400 megawatts, which means that 250 megawatts went unused. And it'd be interesting to know why that was the case. But um, Well, the, the, all these interconnectors don't have the same amount of capacity in both directions. So that, uh, as far as I know, there's a little bit less capacity going back to Victoria than there, than there is Victoria to to South Australia. And of course, these conditions reverse very quickly, Giles. Just this afternoon, I was looking at it and interconnectors, there's no wind in South Australia now, and interconnectors flat out uh, shipping shipping electricity to South Australia. Oh, fair enough then. Look, um, another big political football this week, um, once again, is Adani. Malcolm Turnbull, the Prime Minister, is in um, India. He's um, catching, catching the uh, New Delhi Metro and he's also meeting with uh, Hautam Adani. I think that's his pronunciation. Um, the chief executive and owner of, of Adani about this uh, Carmichael Coman. Um, a big ruction about whether the mine should, one, go ahead at all, and two, whether it should qualify for a $1 billion loan. Um, there's one nice tweet I saw this afternoon, actually, from a Mr. Denmore on Twitter, who actually know who he is, and he said, well, how come $1 billion of Adani um, lending money is, is capitalism and, um, and not saving the reef is, or, or, or trying to save the reef is socialism? Um, where are we going with Adani and, and what should happen? Look, Giles, I, don't, I think anyone who's listening to this podcast basically doesn't uh, support the idea of having opening up the Galilee Basin for more coal mining. I can't say any more about it, about it than that. The economics of it uh, have never been that clear in the market. Uh, most of us, including a lot of people in the coal industry, are worried about the future of it. 
Uh, we don't see the need for a new coal-fired power station in, new, in North Queensland. Uh, look, you have to be very close. I, everyone is worried about the barrier reef. I mean, I think these are fairly universal concerns. I even heard Paddy Smith talking about it, uh, and I say talking because she'd lost her voice by then last night. Um, so, so uh, you know, it's just watch this space and see whether the, whether, whether the political parties that are in power can force it through or not. Well, look, Adani notwithstanding, I'd like to think that the last three months, and I'm sort of doing this as a bit of a sort of a pre-Easter wrap-up, I, I, I think that the last three months have actually led to a bit of a change in the nature of our discussion about the energy markets. I think there's been some important breakthroughs. Um, I think we've had the appointment of Audrey Zieberman at EMO, who I think has changed the conversation. I think the billionaire tweets about battery storage has changed the conversation. Even though they said nothing new, the fact is that they had to put, put it on the front pages of the newspaper and caught the attention of premiers and, and prime ministers and possibly indirectly led to these, um, these big... Um, these um, these big battery storage tenders. I think we're seeing gas. The um, the issues around gas. You know, do we actually have enough? Is it ever going to be priced at anything um, below very expensive? Um, we're seeing this five minute rule, which I think is an important, a very very important evolution. And we're seeing a lot of um, solar and the falling costs of battery storage as well. Um, do you share my confidence, David, that um, we're kind of making progress here? Well, I, I think we are making progress. I think the uh, now five gigawatts of new renew, new wind and PV that's under under construction uh, is is it shows both that policy after a fashion it does work a little bit. And remember that's still in front of this Victorian and Queensland state renewable targets. We've still got those to come. Uh, and it also shows that markets work. You know, when the price of electricity is high, it sends a signal out there. And guess what? If people respond and we'll get some energy efficiency. So, yes, I'm uh, moderately optimistic that we're going to keep making some progress. Meanwhile, though, customers are paying more for their electricity. I don't think we should look at the futures prices as a guide to where, where it will settle. I think uh, actually we should continue to look at the cost of electricity. And as, uh, say, Andrew Blackers at ANU pointed out, it's, it's not just the cost of renewables that we have to look at. It's the cost of affirming the electricity up. And we're still somewhere in that, uh, I think, around $100 a megawatt hour is probably going to be, for the time being, the, the sort of price we're going to, somewhere in that 70 to 100 is, is where things are going to settle over the next 10 years. Well, if Tony Concannon is right and, um, and solar and storage comes in well below $100 a megawatt hour, I think that's a pretty positive outcome. Um, you're certainly right about people responding to the electricity prices. We did see a record uptake of rooftop solar around Australia for the March quarter. So people are still obviously um, worried about that. And um, I think it's going to be really interesting what happens in Western Australia. They've actually got a big budget deficit, and that budget deficit happens to equal the taxpayer subsidy on the cost of electricity in Western Australia. And the new treasurer, the new Labor treasurer, is talking about removing that sub subsidy, which would push up electricity prices by around 30%. And then would presumably drive even more um, uptake of rooftop solar and battery storage. So that's going to be a very but, interesting market too. But it wouldn't make him very politically popular. And of course, he's ruled out the easy option, which is uh, splitting up the West Australian electricity networks a bit more and selling them off, which, you know, I think myself has been, by and large, despite all the opposition, a reasonable success around Australia for, for the state governments that have done it. And, and, and the other thing I think, you know, where I'm still less optimistic is that we're still due some federal policy this year uh, on, on our COP21 uh, outlook. We, we had a COAG meeting this year, which clearly wasn't able to come to an agreement upon anything. The communique out of that was, you know, let's, let's, uh, we'll tell you something next time we meet. <laughs> uh, so we've still got, uh, uh, you know, some big issues to get through. 
Absolutely. Look, on that note, thanks very much, David. Um, anything to look forward to next week? We've got the Easter weekend, so that's why we're doing this podcast today earlier this week. Um, what have we got next week? Anything on your on, on your um, horizon? Well, well, having wound us up about how exciting it is what next week is, I think uh, it's Easter uh, for the time being. I'm not aware of uh, anything very much. I, I, I think we're going to see some analysis of, uh, of exactly what these rule changes might mean in the medium term for some of the listed companies. Um, I'm looking at, uh, at other little things that catch the eye, or some, see if we can find something around metering because there's going to be a tremendous amount of work uh, for the software people uh, changing all the meters and redeveloping all the software for this five minute thing. But that's, that's not going to happen overnight. Might be five minute settlement rule, but it's going to be three years of work. <laughs> we may hear in the meantime a lot of the, the sound of a lot of people screaming and a lot of other people sort of um, clapping their hand thinking, oh, goodies, some business coming up. Um, one thing I should point out too is that the battery storage tender in Victoria, or at least the expressions of interest, finishes on uh, this week. So we may fee- hear some news on that next week and on South Australia as well. So, David, look, once again, um, have a safe Easter and um, thank you to our listeners and um, thank you very much. Uh, the other thing next week we might get is some announcement about the Tesla battery actually turning up. You know, it has to happen one of these years, doesn't it? Well, they did say April, yes. Well, absolutely. We'll put that to the test next week. We'll ask them. Thank you very much, David, and thank you, everybody else.